three favorite holidays? Somebody did it. Somebody over here did it. They couldn't resist. So some of you have it, like right off your verbal processors, that's how I am. I'm going to give 10 seconds to our molars uh, who need some time to process. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to think, what are your three favorite holidays? And don't say them out loud. We'll share, but just not yet. Okay, ready? 10 seconds, go. Don't, don't, don't. As hard as it is. All right, 10 seconds is <clears throat> 10 seconds is <laughs> 10 seconds is up. Now, share look to the person on your right or left and share your three favorite holidays. 1 2 3 in that order. Ready? Go. All right, whose favorite holiday? Raise your hand if the person sitting next to you said their favorite holiday was Christmas. Wow, not as many as uh, I expected, not as many as last service for sure. What's wrong with you people? No, I'm just kidding. Now, I'm giving you permission to do this. Shout out if the person next to you said a holiday and say the holiday that was like, really? Like your top three? What what are you thinking? Who said President's Day? What? Any, any others? Any other? <laughs> Halloween? Halloween for, for some people. <laughs> Sorry. I love Halloween. It's probably, you know, top 10 for me. <laughs> any others? Any others? Crazy ones? I, oh, so this is a little controversial, okay? But, so I, I know that we have some hipsters at this church, uh, but I... I always knew that, but it really came to life last service. Uh, somebody said their favorite holiday was Arbor Day. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Now, my favorite holiday is Christmas for sure. Uh, I'm like some of you or many of you. My, my second and my third favorite holidays are a little controversial, actually. So my second favorite holiday, someone shouted 4th of July. My second favorite holiday is 4th of July. Can I get any love for 4th of July? Oh, it's so fun, so good. Uh, everyone's, it's just good because it's in the summer. And Michigan summers are awesome. I'm learning to really, really love those things. And, uh, you know, everyone's off. You get hot dogs, hamburgers, fireworks. It's just great. And my third favorite holiday uh, is actually, like, New Year's Eve slash New Year's Day. But no one really cares about New Year's Day. New Year's Eve is, like, where it's at. You know, that's where the fun is at. I love New Year's Eve. Uh, I hope no one here this morning is the person that goes to bed before the ball drops. I don't have... That's true. I don't have kids. But, oh, it's so good. New Year's Eve, the ball drop. and Oh, it's so much fun. I love it. Now, we just wrapped up Christmas. Uh, so we're just getting done with Christmas, but we're also looking uh, forward to New Year's Eve, right? We're kind of in between. Not too bad for me, right? Two of my three favorite holidays all in a week. It's pretty great. And uh, we're also, we just wrapped up an Advent series. We're moving out of an Advent series, and we're moving in uh, to a series called Turn Your Eyes, Vision, talking through some, uh, some of the different things that we're just kind of created for. We're sort of in between, right? And we're also in between 2019, 2020, 2020 is on the cusp, right? But we're kind of just in this in-between phase. And for some of you, uh, some of the younger, the the kiddos in the room, uh, you're in between Christmas break and the start of school again. Like, it's coming. I'm sorry. I see, like, the lots of kids in this area. School is coming, guys. Uh, But, hey, 
rest assured, you're still at break, but you're, still, you're in that in-between, right? And in-between phases of life, in, in specific, you know, like uh, 2019 to 2020, can be awkward, tricky, confusing. They can just feel kind of weird, unsettling. But life stages, like big life stages in general, those, those in-between phases, uh, those can also be like really rough, uh, confusing, awkward, difficult times uh, in our life. There's a famous psychologist, Eric Erickson, and uh, he, put, he says that life, uh, you know, life in general can be sort of broken down into eight stages. I think there's been a ninth added. Uh, I think Torin uh, passed that along to me in between services. So there's actually nine. There's eight here that you can see, right? So there's these eight stages, and on the far right, you can see that there's ages for each of those stages, and then sort of a name for each stage, the period. You'll see early infancy, toddler, early childhood, all that stuff. Now this chart kind of makes it seem like moving into one life, out of one life stage into another is kind of like an exact science. You know, like when you're 12, you're in early childhood, and then by the time you're 13, you're, uh, you know, in adolescence, right? And it's kind of like boom, boom, one to another. But we all know that that's really not how life works, right? Like there is kind of like this overlap between a lot of those stages. Uh, there's kind of like this in-between phase, and those in-between phases can be like tough, you know what I'm saying? So here's a couple examples from my own life. So we have a picture of me uh, as, a, as a baby. Uh, if you're saying, aw, something's wrong with you. I am the baby on the far right, on my right, who looks like an alien baby. That's me, okay? That, that's my twin brother on the left, and he looks a little more normal. Uh, and you're like, why are you showing this? Well, you see, the first stage is infancy. And I am sort of in an in-between phase between, like, birth and infancy. I don't really belong on earth yet at this point, but I'm, I'm here, okay? So, unfortunately, they got pictures of it, and the in-between phases, like, they're tough. Another example, uh, it wasn't all doom and gloom for me. Uh, this, I know, right? So cute. Stop it. Stop it. But keep coming. Keep coming. No. This is, uh, you know, in sort of the transition between uh, early, early childhood and middle childhood, right? I was like six years old, first grade, no, two, no front teeth. I'm asking Santa for two front teeth. Uh, and eating was really hard at this time. But other than that, life was pretty good, and I was pretty cute at that time. But then it was kind of downhill from there. This is kind of the peak. So then, you know, transition uh, from middle childhood to adolescence was not kind to me. I'm 12 or 13 years old here. Uh, you can't see because we've zoomed in on my aviators, but I have an Aeropostle shirt on, of course. Uh, can I get some love for Aeropostle back in middle school? Woo -woo. Uh, and I have a really lame pair of aviators on, and I have braces. I had braces for like seven years. It was really terrible. Uh, and this is an in-between phase. Like, I'm not an adolescent, but I'm not a middle child either. I don't know what I am at this point in my life. Fun fact, I grew up in Indianapolis. I'm not from here, but this picture was taken. Anybody recognize? Grand River. I'm right by the Grand River. I was like, I got my aviators on. I got my Aeropostale on. I'm by the Grand River. Post up. Let me get a picture, you know, uh, so that I can laugh at myself years and years later. Uh, and, but unfortunately, the in-between phases aren't done for me. Uh, I feel like I'm uh, in this... Uh, emerging adults or transition or adolescence to young adulthood, whatever you want to call it. So last year, I tried to grow out a mustache. Uh, you can't see it in this picture, so we zoomed in. And uh, mustache, not, not working for me yet, okay? Uh, maybe later on in uh, uh, early adulthood or middle adulthood, whenever uh, I will be great. I will be grateful for when I'm able to rock a mustache. You see, the in-between phases of life uh, can be tough. They can be tricky, they can be difficult, they can be unsettling. Uh, 
And it's kind of, now you may not feel like middle school Austin with aviators and an Aeropostle shirt posting up by the Grand River, but my guess is you kind of feel a little bit of the in-betweenness of life right now. Out of one holiday into a next, out of one year into the next, even out of a one sermon series advent into the next. And so as I was prepping for this Sunday, as I was uh, prepping for just what God wanted to say to us this morning, my mind was drawn to a text, a Bible, uh, a text in the Bible that really just kind of encapsulates this like in-betweenness. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm using it this morning. You see, there's four Gospels, four books of the Bible that open up the New Testament. There's the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of John. And these four books all tell the, the story, the life, the teachings, the ministry of Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of overlap between the four, but each are a separate account. Now, of these four, there are only two that tell uh, a birth narrative, a birth story of Jesus. Uh, that's Matthew and Luke. Now, Matthew and Luke also uh, include a genealogy of Jesus. Everyone say genealogy. Genealogy. It's a fancy word. Uh, I'm sure many of you uh, know what genealogies are. Genealogy is basically like an ancestry line, right? And so Matthew and Luke, in both of their Gospels, give uh, sort of like Jesus' genealogy, his Ancestry.com profile, okay? Uh, And Matthew, so both Matthew and Luke do this, but Matthew starts with Jesus' genealogy. Before Matthew gets into Jesus' birth and his life, his ministry, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, before Matthew gets into all of that, Matthew starts with Jesus' genealogy. It's like Matthew uh, like swabbed uh, Jesus' spit or like grabbed some of Jesus' hair and sent it off to 23andMe, got the results back, and published it and puts it at the beginning of the book. And the results are kind of boring. <laughs> like it's, it's 17 verses of name after name after name after name. And many of you probably have opened up the book of Matthew. You're ready to read about the life, the teachings, the ministry of Jesus. And the first book, the first 17 verses are just a bunch of names, and you're like, what is going on here? And so you, like me probably, have just kind of, eh, I'll just skip that, onto the, onto the real stuff, right? Anybody done that? Skip the, skip the names? Yeah. But you see, the truth is, these genealogies are actually, I think, some, one of the coolest parts of Matthew's gospel. They're cool, like Austin in aviators at the age of 12 in an Aeropostle shirt. Wait, that wasn't cool. So, something that is cool. You see, these genealogies have something really powerful to teach us, I think, about God. These genealogies kind of encapsulate the, the in-between. Before Jesus arrived, they kind of sit in that in-between space. And we just celebrated Christmas, right? We just celebrated the arrival of Jesus. Christ is born. And these genealogies come just before that. And in these genealogies, Matthew, in this genealogy, Matthew looks, for, looks back and looks forward all at the same time and really gives us a reminder of who God is. And so this morning, as we're sort of in between a lot of things, out of one thing into the next, I thought, what better way to, to sit in this morning than just be reminded of who God is as we transition into some next new things. So there's three things I think that Matthew's genealogy of Jesus really remind us of. He looks back and looks forward all at the same time and reminds us of three things about God. So I want to spend most of my time this morning talking about those two of those things. And then I want to actually spend some time reflecting. And then I'll close with the third. 
So the first reminder, the first thing that Matthew's genealogy does is it looks back and serves as a reminder that God is powerfully active and relationally moving. I'll say that again. Matthew's genealogy in Jesus looks backward to God's faithfulness and reminds us that God is powerfully active and relationally moving. You see, Matthew's genealogy, 17 verses of name after name after name, encapsulates over 2,000 years of history. It includes 42 generations and over 40 names are given. And each name represents a person. And each person represents a story. And each story represents a different way that God interacted with a person. A way that God chose to reveal himself and use that person to bring about his will and his purpose and ultimately his salvation in Jesus. There's a reason that Matthew and Luke, for that matter, start their narratives with this long list of names. You've opened the book of Matthew, many of you, we've said, and you've been like, why would Matthew start with this? I compare it to uh, old movies, you know, the old movies would start sometimes like with a, a list of credits, you know, like the actors and the directors and all that stuff, uh, and you're like, why? Like, this is such a lame way to start the movie, you know? And now I don't think movies do that. Someone in last service shouted out that some do, and I said, oh, I didn't know that. I guess I don't watch the movies that start with credits. But maybe I'm just not paying attention. But it's like that. You know, you open up, you're like, why? Why would Matthew do this? Why would Matthew start his narrative with this? You see, I think it's because there's many reasons, but I think one of the reasons is Matthew wants to make sure that ancient readers and modern readers alike, people who are going to be reading his narrative, the story of Jesus' birth and his life, his ministry, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, all of that, Matthew wants to make sure that his readers who are going to be reading those for years and years to come, that before they do all of that, he wants to remind them of God's faithfulness that brought the story to this point in Jesus. God wants, or Matthew wants to remind his readers that God is faithful, that God is powerfully active, and that he's relationally moving. You see, God interacts with real people in real places in real times. That's what the genealogy shows us. Each person, and each name a person, each person a story that lived in a real place in a real time, and God interacted with them. You see, God interacts with real people in real places in real times because that's what a powerfully active and relationally moving God does. You see, when God moves and redeems things, God doesn't just do that in some general concept of the world. You know, people say, well, God is redeeming the world. And you think, well, what does that actually look like? What that actually looks like is God moving and redeeming in real places, in real times, in real people's lives, like you and like me. Like in a city like Grand Rapids, Michigan. Or like in a business complex turned into a church with a really funny name that's really hard to find. There's people probably driving around still trying to find the local church this morning. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. We got good signs. People put out good signs. It's great. Or God does it in a place like a therapy center turned into a public school with a name like Kenoshe that's really hard to say and even harder to spell. Right? Like God moves in real places in real times with real people. You see, when God moves and God redeems things, he does it in real places you can find on maps. He does it in real times that you can point to on a calendar. And he does it with real people that you can name and touch and eat with and recognize. And the genealogies of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew reminds us of that. He, God moves in real places in real times with real people. He's, his faithful, he is faithful. And he's powerfully active and relationally moving. 
The second thing that the genealogies in Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew reminds us of, or it does, is it looks forward. It looks forward to the person of Jesus, and it reminds us that God is not an idea. God is not a concept. God is not a scientific formula. God is not uh, some holy, uninvolved thing to ponder and feel good about figuring out. It reminds us as it points to the, looks forward and points to the person of Jesus that God is a person. That's been the story that God's been showing the Israelites and the, the world throughout the whole New Testament in that genealogy that's encapsulated. And then it points to Jesus in the ultimate reminder that God is a person. God is a person that wants relationship. He wants relationship with Israel. He wants relationship with the world. He wants relationship with you. And he wants to make all things new. I recently watched a, a movie on Netflix. Uh, it's called A Marriage Story. Anybody seen A Marriage Story on Netflix? Torin. Cool. All right. All right. <laughs> well, you guys should uh, get Netflix if you don't have it and check this movie out. It's a pretty great movie. Uh, it's, I, again, no, spo- no spoilers here. This is all in the trailer. Uh, but the, th- this movie is kind of titled, ironically, it's titled A, a Marriage Story, but it's actually a story about a, a marriage going through a process of divorce. And throughout, throughout the movie, uh, this process is pretty grueling. And as an audience, as a viewer, uh, you're given multiple opportunities, sort of tempted to actually kind of like pick a side, you know, the husband or the wife's side, to, to choose a hero and a villain and root for one and root against the other, because that's sort of how our brains work. That's how our minds work, right? We want to dichotomize things and pick one and, and root against the other. But what's cool about this movie, why I love this movie, is the beginning of the movie is done in such a way that it makes it really, really hard to pick one to root for and one to root against. You see, at the beginning of this movie, uh, you're reminded as a viewer, as, an, as the audience, that these two characters are people. You see, the beginning of this movie uh, is a, sort of a monologue of sorts of, of both characters, and they spend some time just kind of reading like a letter that they've written to the other just explaining like who that other person is and why they love them, their strengths and their weaknesses, why they love them, not in spite of those things, but because of those things. It's like an awesome, beautiful way to open the movie. And what it does is it reminds you as the audience that the, this husband and wife aren't just two characters, they're two people. Two people with all the things that make a person a person, strengths and weaknesses. And so you, you, you're invested, you care as much about one as you do the other, and so you just, you just mourn, it's, it's, it's tough to see what's going on. You don't choose one side or the other. And in a similar way, I think Matthew's genealogy, before you get into all the other stuff and after he's reminded you of God's faithfulness, Matthew, in the, the pinnacle of his genealogy is Jesus to remind you that God is a person, to remind you that he has now become in the ultimate example that he is a person. He's become human in the form of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, God is a person. He's not an idea. He's not a concept. He's not this holy, uninvolved thing. God is a person who wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship, and he wants to make all things new. A couple of weeks ago, Torin talked about this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism. This idea that God is moralistic, like he wants you to, many of us relate to God in this way, right? Moralistic therapeutic deism. Basically this idea, God is moralistic. He wants us to be good. God's therapeutic. When I, when I need help, when things aren't going right, I, I can come to God. And deism, God, other than that, God's pretty uninvolved. He doesn't really care. He's not interacting with the world. He's not interacting with me. And the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew speaks against that very way of approaching God, reminding us of his faithfulness, reminding he's powerfully active and relationally moving and reminding us as he points forward to Jesus that God is a person who wants relationship and wants to make all things new. 
And I love that. I love the genealogy of Jesus for that. And so as we're, we're sitting in this in-between space, we're moving out of Christmas into New Year's, out of 2019, into 2020, and we're moving into the next things, I wanted to just take some time and sit with those reminders on our hearts and our heads and actually reflect, reflect a little bit. You see, as, I, as we leave out of here, here this morning, I'd love for us to have uh, something in each of our hands. In one hand, I'd like us uh, to keep sort of a tight grip on some of the things that uh, God has done in our life this past year. See, it's hard to know what God is going to do if you don't recognize what God has already done in your life. And sometimes it's hard, right? Some of you may be sitting in a space where you're like, man, God has done so many amazing things this year. It's amazing. And some of you may be sitting and you're thinking, I hope God wasn't doing the things that have happened to me this year. And what I want to do this morning is I want to just encourage us. I want to move us into a time of reflection and hold on to the things God has done in our life this year. Because whether it's been really great or whether it's been really hard, I promise you, God is working with you. He's moving with you to bring about his will, to bring about his purposes, and to bring about his salvation. So that's in the one hand we're going to hold tight. The other hand I want us to hold loosely is what, what we sense God's going to do in this next year. What is God going to do in our lives this year? Where is he going to move? How is, how is he going to use the, the people, the places, uh, and, and where we live, work, and play to, to bring about his will, to bring about his purposes, to bring about his salvation in our life and in the lives around us? Again, some of this may not happen. That's why we're holding it loosely, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to sort of grab a hold of both of those things and silently reflect. So the first, in, in, our, in our left hand or in our tight hand, we're going to reflect on this past year. And so we're going to just take a minute or two, uh, we'll bring down the lights, uh, and, and just in complete silence, we believe like God's presence is here when we gather, right? And sometimes God has some things he wants to say through me or through Torn, whoever's speaking, but sometimes God just wants to speak to you directly. And all we have to do is just kind of sit back, reflect, and listen. And so we're going to do that. Over the next minute or two, I want you to ask this one question and hold it tightly after who are the people or where are the places you have seen God move in your life this past year? Who are the people or where are the places that you've seen God move in this past year? Would you just reflect with me? We're going to hold that tight. Hold that tight now, and as we, as we move out of here this morning and into, into the next year, into new things, we're going to hold tight what God has done in this past year. All with a reminder that he's powerfully active, he's relationally moving, he's a person who wants relationship. 
And then in this other hand, I want to take some time to reflect on what God's going to do in your life this year. Who, does God, who has God placed in your life? Where are the places God has you that he wants to use, that he wants to move through you and work through you? You see, at TLC, we believe that God has you in a specific place for a specific time as a specific purpose. Each of, us, each of us that call this place home, we believe that. And you may be like, oh, I've been coming here for a little bit. I'm tired of hearing about this. I'm tired of hearing that I'm at a specific place for a specific time for a specific purpose. But guess what? It's the holidays. And on the holidays, you watch videos and look at photos that you've watched a hundred times. You listen to stories that you've heard a hundred times. Because the truth is, sometimes there are things, there are photos, videos, stories, whatever it is, that are so true to who you are as a person or as a family that you need to be reminded of them again and again and again. And the truth is, for us as a church, as a community, who want to know and fall in love with Jesus and help others do the same, recognizing that God has us in a specific place for a specific time and a specific purpose is one of those truths. We have to remind ourselves again and again and again. And so I just want to do that this morning. I want to reflect, hold loosely what God's going to do this year. So would you, would you reflect with me and just ask yourself this question. Who are the people and where are the places that God might want to use? Sorry, it says you. God, don't ask yourself you. Uh, but God might want to use me this next year. Who are the people and where are the places that God might want to use me this next year? Would you reflect with me? We're going to hold that loosely. We're going to hold loosely what we sense God is going to do in our life this next year. As we move out of, out of this time and, and into the, and the next holiday, into the next year, all of that, before we do that, I want to close with the third reminder. It's my favorite part of the genealogy of, of Jesus given in Matthew. You see, because when we talk about this, we talk about these reminders of who God is and how he's powerfully active and relationally moving, how he's a person who wants a relationship and wants to make all things new, and that involves a relationship with us and joining in what he's doing. Oftentimes, many of us, even in, maybe in this, this past time of reflecting what God's going to do this next year, you, you, you think, okay, what do I need to do? I gotta do, do, do. I gotta start everything. I gotta create everything. All the responsibility is on me. Rather than seeing what we're doing as joining in what God is already doing and the people and the places around us, we think of this joining in God's mission as doing everything, starting everything, creating everything. And one of the things that that does in us is it creates this sense that we have to be perfect. Like we've got to have it all together if we're going to allow God to use us. 
Everything's got to be right. Everything's got to be great. Everything's got to be perfect. And what I love about the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew is it spits in the face of this idea. You see, the genealogy of Jesus given in Matthew has no pattern. There is no pattern in the lineage of Jesus. In fact, just speaking old ancient genealogies, I know a very common uh, topic, this is a really rare, like uncommon, shocking way that, that Matthew has written this genealogy. You see, there are adulterers and there are prostitutes. There are kings and there are peasants. There are heroes. There are, there are women and there are men. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. There is no pattern in this lineage that we see of Jesus. It's startling to read. There's no pattern. Good kings fathered wicked kings. Wicked kings fathered good kings. The only thing that we see throughout the whole thing is that God moved. That God used each one of these individual names and these people and these stories to bring about his will, his purposes, and ultimately his salvation in Jesus. The genuineness and the unlikeliness of this genealogy would have stunned Matthew's readers at the time. And as you read it today, you, you might be stunned as well to, to learn that Jesus' ancestors were just humans with all of their faults, yet all of their potentials of everyday people, and God worked through them to bring about his salvation. You see, this is the third reminder. It's my favorite part of the genealogy of Jesus given in Matthew. And it's that God can use anyone. That's what we see. God can use anyone, however marginalized, however despised, God can use anyone to bring about his purposes. God sovereignly works his will through everyday people. You see, if you hear me say one thing this morning, hear this. In the same way that God wanted to use Abraham and in the same way God wanted to use King Uzziah and the same way that God wanted to use Eliakim and the same way God wanted to use King David, God wants to use and work through your life. I'll say it again. In the same way that God wanted to work and use Abraham and Uzziah and Eliakim and King David, God wants to use and work through your life. And it's not because of anything you have, not because of any personal uh, achievements or qualifications as an individual. It's just because of who God is. It's because God is faithful and he's powerfully active and he's relationally moving and it's because God is a person who wants a relationship and wants to make all things new and it's because God in his grace, wants to use everyday people to bring about his purposes, to bring about his love, to bring about his salvation. And the genealogies of Jesus and Matthew remind us of that. And that's why I think that Matthew, at the very start of his gospel, starts with that. He points his readers beyond the individual qualifications of any of these individuals or the unqualification of some of these individuals, and instead, he points to the faithfulness of God to remind us that he's powerfully active and relationally moving. He points forward to the person of Jesus to remind us that God is a person who wants a relationship and wants to make all things new. And then the crazy part about the whole thing is the rest of the book of Matthew, the rest of the story of Jesus is an invitation to us to be a part of that story. You see, the story of Jesus' life and his ministry is just the story of God's overwhelming love Nothing can stand in its way, and there is nobody who does not need it. And we, as the church, we get to be a part of that story. We get to allow God, 
who is powerfully active and relationally moving to move in our life, in our places, in our times. And we get to have a relationship with him and allow him to make all things new in our life and around us. It's an incredible opportunity. And so my hope, my prayer is that as we move into 2020, as we move into the next thing and the new things and all of these things, that we would be reminded of who God is, first and foremost. Powerfully active, relationally moving, who wants a relationship, wants to make all things new, and wants to use you. Would you pray with me? God, I just thank you for uh, this past week. I thank you for just the opportunity to celebrate with family, friends, or whoever the birth of your son, Jesus. God, I thank you for your word and, and, and parts, of your, parts of your word that don't seem to make a lot of sense that might be ignored like a, a long list of names, but uh, sometimes just to remind us of these simple truths of who you are if we, if we just stop to pay attention for a little bit. And God, I just pray that as we move into this next year and the next thing and all the new things, God, that we would just be reminded of who you are. That we would be like, we just wrapped up a series in in Exodus not too long ago, that we would be like Moses and the Israelites who at the end of Exodus, before moving into the next thing or the new thing, eventually come to a place where they say, God, if you're not there, we we won't go. And I pray that whatever this, the new things are, the next things are in, in this next year, that we would be a people, we would be a church that says, God, if you're not there, we won't go. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. To you be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.